Animated Movie Watch. I'm Beffers. And I'm Birdie. And today's episode is 101 Dalmatians. 101? 100? Are you sure it's not 102? That's a sequel. Oh, okay. (laughs) So we pick our movies from a list of animated feature films on Wikipedia, and any movie with a critic's rating of over 50% on Rotten Tomatoes will get its own episode here on Animoa. And we are watching these films in chronological order, and we're now in the 60s. Holy crap. Yeah, first movie of the 60s. Swing in 60s. Yep. Here I come, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, make you randy, baby. (laughs) No, why are we doing this? Okay, please. (laughs) Oh my god. Uh, What are we drinking today? Well, I don't know. You tell me. What are you drinking? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I just took a sip of my oolong tea, which is polluted with milk and lots of sugar. Excellent. Sounds like a very delicious pollution. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I had a very, very bad batch of tea. Um, so instead, I'm drinking some nice uh, lime-flavored sparkling water. Nice. <laughs> very nice. Mm. Very refreshing. Well, we've got uh, 1,654 Dalmatians. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Where did we get all these? Did we go to the store? Know. Like Cruella should have done instead of stealing the fifteen puppies? Like Yeah, okay. really. Can can I just jump in with this this point that I find very ridiculous? It's a kind of a plot hole, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. So she she has acquired eighty-four, and I think a lot of them are like, Yeah, we came from the pet store and stuff. And then she steals fifteen. It's like, okay, if you can afford to just buy the 84, why would you waste your time and go to the effort and risk the, like, police attention of, or, you know, Scotland Yard or whatever, of stealing another 15, when you could just go to this, like, more stores and buy some more if you really wanted 99 in particular. I I don't understand why she did this. I think I can back this up with some plot and character development uh maybe she's just so greedy that she wants all the puppies she can find or maybe she did some actual calculations and figured out she needs exactly this amount of dalmatian puppies to make whatever the hell she's making what is it a coat um multiple coats it sounds like oh Um, i don't think it's even for her because i see her as like a fashion designer who's probably just making these coats to sell or like a hmm. fashion line or something. Are we just assuming she is her Glenn Close character or kind uh... of? I, I I did make that assumption a little bit, but like otherwise, then who the fuck is she? Like, uh, well, who... they said earlier that she was um, Anita's old schoolmate. Yeah, which I find really interesting because it makes me want to know what kind of background does Anita come from. We don't really yeah. know anything about her. We really don't. And, I mean, I guess she's not friends with Cruella, but they were old schoolmates and they're close enough that Cruella calls on her and, like, seems fairly buddy-buddy with her. Yeah. Weird, weird plot point. Okay, sorry. That's not really how I did intend to start this out, but I I just happened to see that note and (laughs) you mentioned all those puppies. And I was like, wait a minute. Also, wait, why? And she, she was originally offering to buy the puppies. And so, yeah, then she had to resort to stealing them. But she didn't need those puppies. They even say, like, oh, they're the smaller ones because they were younger. And, like, the, the, it's not enough 
real estate for fur. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, I'm thinking like a horrible person. Like, Rah! okay. Anyway, hey, how about just like a, a general, I guess, how, how did we feel about this? Oh, my gosh. I loved it. Yeah? Mostly, yeah. Oh, yeah. How about you? Okay. Well, I generally enjoyed it, too. I think one of my earlier notes was just like, I'm just enjoying this shit. I'm yeah. just sitting here watching the movie and having a good time. I would say pacing-wise, kind of near the middle end, it starts to drag a little bit as it's like the dog's just sort of journey- journeying to get back home again. Kind of yeah. just keeps going. But overall, like, you know, it's a, it's a charming movie. I see why it did well. It did gangbusters. And it really got Disney back on their feet again after Sleeping Beauty. Can I point out my plot point that bothered me? Sure. So you have these two guys, Horace and Jasper, and they, they're looking after the puppies. And then Pongo and Purdy jump in and they're trying to protect their kids, right? But the way they yeah. attack Horace and Jasper is just pure slapstick. And that, that didn't seem realistic to me. I'm like, you're dogs with huge jaws and sharp teeth, and you're telling me you're not just going to rip these guys to shreds to save your kids? I mean, Disney. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I see what you, you're saying, though. There, there were some parts that were just kind of silly. I, I thought that the, the bit with like the horse kicking them was pretty silly. Cute, yeah. but very slapsticky. Very cute. Uh, so let's move on to our main points we got to talk about. I think we should okay. cover the animation first because that was different. <sighs> it sure was different. I, I, I did already warn you during our last uh, episode, like, hey, we're in for a major change and you're going to notice it and you're going to see it. And I imagine you did. Yeah, it looks like sketches yes yes it what does. is that called so what disney ended up starting doing with 101 dalmatians is this process called serography and zero part coming from xerox it, it, it is what you think like so xerography spelled with like the x and everything um mm. basically uh the way they had been doing animated films up until this point the artists would have like the animation pencil lines and everything. And then those would get transferred and basically traced with ink onto animation cells and then flipped over and painted in. So you get these hand-drawn cells, but like inked and painted and everything, but you don't actually get the pencil drawings on there. It's just these ink inkers, inkers. That sounds really weird, but that's what they are. Um, They're the ones who transferred it. However, of course, that was very time-consuming and expensive to do. Xerography, that is basically a way where they just sort of utilize the the Xeroxing technology to just transfer the pencil pencil sketches directly onto the cells. And then, yes, they would still fill them in with, like, the colors and everything, but they would no longer do the painstaking inked outlines that you get in the earlier films and that you will sort of eventually get again, but um, digitally that's not for many decades because xerography is so cheap and so successful that they basically continue doing this up until, Oh God, rescuers down under. Oh, wow. I think. Yeah. They, they managed to make it a look a little bit smoother. I think earlier than that, 
but it's really kind of scratchy and you can even see some of the guidelines that the um, artists will use. It's, 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 it's just, it's kind of, ah, I have mixed feelings about it. Disney didn't like it himself. He did not like the look of it. Oh, that's, that's strange. Cause they kept using it. Well, he died. Um, oh. <laughs> no. And I guess he, he couldn't deny the fact that, you know, it was successful and it was cheaper because otherwise they were going to have to shut down the animation studio. Got it. Um, Save that money. Yeah, exactly. And they, they did lay off so many of those anchors um, in order to sort of make this all work. But yeah, they, they probably made this movie for half the amount of money it would have cost if they'd done it the old style. But yeah, no, he didn't like the way it looked and he bitched about it to uh, the art director a lot, Ken Anderson, and also... I don't know if he ever really completely forgave him for it, even though, again, they ended up just continuing to use the style. Yeah, and I have mixed feelings about it. I kind of like that you can see what the animators and artists like originally put into their designs and you can see the guidelines and you can see it all. But I like the cleanliness that you have with the actual inked cells. So I don't know. I got to say I like both. Mm hmm. But I think what I really like about um, this new art style is that I have a thing for pencil strokes. Mm-hmm. I like seeing, like, it's almost like a graininess on yep. the page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> That's my two cents. No, it, it preserves that. And it, it yeah. definitely creates a whole new style and ushers in a whole new era, really, of Disney. This is still considered the Silver Age or whatever they call it. That won't end until after The Jungle Book, but this still feels very different. And I think also the fact that it's such a modern story and look and feel, it just sort of shifted Disney's sort of repertoire, I guess. They were able to do other things other than just fairy tales after this point. And they won't even go back to fairy tales for a while. Mm -hmm. How about the character designs? Very good character designs. Um, I think we generally have, well, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think we have Bill Pete to thank for that. So Bill Pete was a story artist uh, for a long time at Disney. And he was actually asked by Disney to adapt the book that this was based off of into the script. And this guy had never really done any script writing before. But Disney was like, now nah, you got this. You can do this. And Bill Pete was like, okay, I guess. And so he basically developed the entire story, the script, and, the, and he, then he did, did the storyboard. So he basically kind of established the look of this movie. And I, I, I don't know that he like designed all the characters. I, I still think we, we can thank the, the collaboration of the Nine Old Men for, you know, obviously like a lot of that. Like uh, Mark Davis was basically responsible for Cruella. He was the same <laughs> one who was responsible for Maleficent and... Uh, Aurora in Sleeping Beauty. So, I I have thoughts about Cru- Cruella's character design. <laughs> the only note about her that I have here is, holy shit, her cheekbones. Yes! <laughs> Especially Those... when uh, they show her in bed on the phone and her hair is tied back. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is this on her face? Those cheekbones could cut a bitch. Um... <laughs> I love I'm it. I'm sure I love Benedict her. Cumberbatch is just so <laughs> jealous. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Do I ship it? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
Um, yes. <laughs> no. It's weird. She's a cartoon. <laughs> so he's Benedict Cumberbatch. He kind of is, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're talking about designs. Uh, I, I love her design. I love the contrast of her really, really skinny body and then that massive coat. Um, I like it too, but at the same time, whenever we see a peak of her arm or her shoulder when the coat's sliding off, it makes me really worried about her health. Oh yeah, but the, I mean, it's 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 so perfect. It's so good. She's just like <laughs> this kind of unsettlingly skeletal, upsetting thing, and just wrapped up in her 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 things. If that makes sense, like her material things. Like it's like that's the bulk of her. Like, yeah. she herself is not much substance, but, like, her gigantic coat, she just sort of surrounds herself with beautiful things. But she's really just this awful thing at her core. She kind of reminds me of Yzma in terms of, like, this, this skinny fashion icon kind of thing. Yeah, she's like a combination between Yzma and Eartha Kitt's appearance in Harriet the Spy. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess she's based off of uh, Tallulah Bankhead. The actress, um, both her mannerisms and even the way she talks, that, oh, Anita darling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sort of, like, fake voice. Really exaggerated, not genuine. Yeah. Eccentric. She's such a, she's a hell of a character. And as I, I kept, most of my notes about her was just like, Jesus, take it easy, woman. And, like, <laughs> she's always at 11, isn't she? And like, yeah. Damn, you're intense. You know, just like it was almost everything about her was like in all caps. <laughs> you know who also can be intense is Roger. He is surprisingly for you know who seems like possibly like a, oh you know quiet Englishman. Oh, he's all artistic and working on his songs, but no, <laughs> he's he's a bit. Uh, much. But he's most intense when he's making fun of Cruella, like when he's mm-hmm. up in his office playing all those <laughs> instruments to make fun of her. Yes. And then when he comes back down the stairs after she's left, he has like his scarf or his sweater tied around his yeah. neck and it's just perfect. Oh, uh, it's so good. Um, yeah, no, I, I like his design and his character in general. He felt very real to me as someone who has grown up in a household with someone who writes music. Um, like kind of the the modes that he's in, like when he's like in piano mode, he is just in the zone. He won't stop until he's done and singing things as he's talking kind of stuff. It, it felt pretty, pretty genuine. Uh, how about Anita? Oh, uh, Anita, again, it's so weird. Like I, I like her, but I don't really get much of a sense of her character other than the fact that she does fairly freely call Roger an idiot. <laughs> She's just like, oh, you idiot. Krilla's like, Anita! <laughs> I like that running joke of accidentally calling Krilla names <laughs> over the phone. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Also, Jasper and Horace. <laughs> I think Anita and Perdita are kind of the same to me. They're just, they're kind of that that doting woman, you know? They, yeah, they didn't have a whole lot of, unfortunately, they didn't have a whole lot of personality. Yeah. Um, a few things that Anita did, though, uh, her, 
her gestures. Sometimes they seem like one of the stepsisters from Cinderella, sometimes like Anastasia. So it was really cool to see her in the middle of this crossroads between movies that are decades apart. Interesting. I wonder if she had a similar animator working on her, or the same animator rather, or um, for those particular gestures. Because I know the the animators in this, um, the, those nine old men, uh, or however many of them there were working on it at this point, uh, they did just traded back and forth. Yes, yes, that's true. I think there were six because we have Wooly is now um, directing. He directed this one. But yeah, point is, I think they all worked on Perdita, which is really strange to me that they all ended up animating this one character and started just passing her back and forth. So yeah, I wonder how many of them worked on Anita and if any of them also overlapped with the stepsisters. Yeah. Did the nanny or housekeeper, was her name Nanny? Would she... I, I just call her Nanny. She okay. might just be Nanny. Okay. Um, did she remind you of any other characters we've met before in other movies? Yes, and I'm not sure who or why. Because I was sitting there like, I don't know why I feel like I know you, lady, but I do. I think she was a bit like Flora. Yeah. Maybe a, a bit, cross yeah. between Flora and Meriwether. Yeah. I liked her, though. I always thought she was a fun little character. And yeah. she does her best against Je- uh, Horace and Jasper. Oh, and what about Horace and Jasper? I mean, they're classic comic relief. They're pretty entertaining. Um, I wonder if they're brothers because they have like the exact same nose. Huh. I, I don't know. It just sort of threw me off when I noticed that. I like them in their various scenes like i like them in the hell hall scene when um sergeant tibbs is sort of trying to figure out what's going on with the puppies and they're like arguing about food and booze and stuff and (laughs) and i I love them when they're watching that what's my crime show (laughs) yeah i love that show too i really really wanted to know what percival fonswater did what was his crime (laughs) I like that they recognized one of their buddies. Yeah, yeah, he was a little meathead. <laughs> like, there's a lot of stuff in this that did feel very much like, yes, this came from source material. This came from a book. And I don't know how much of it did because I didn't sit down and, you know, read the original book. But it certain elements of it felt like, yeah, this would be in, in a, a book rather than in a movie. And it was not that it was poorly adapted or anything. It just, it felt... Like, it made more sense, like, if I were to be reading it rather than watching it. I had no idea this was a book. Really? Really? So I haven't read it? Okay. I guess the author's name was... Oh, God. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this because I don't... <laughs> a lot of these names from back in the day, it's, it's either Dodie or Dottie Smith. Okay. Um, and uh, it was only written, like, a handful of years before this in Disney got the rights, I think, in, like, the mid-late 50s. So he pounced on it. <laughs> wow. And I, th- I think she would she would have been hoping that he would. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, he handed it off to Bill Pete and basically just said, go to town. And then um, because he was kind of disenchanted with how well or how not well Sleeping Beauty did, he let the art director just sort of 
do his own thing with uh, the sort of aesthetic of the movie, and then Disney wasn't happy with it. So. Oh, well, I was happy with it. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it definitely has a distinct look. I don't think we ever really get anything quite like it again, at least in terms of the, the modernism of it. Like, it's it's so very much of its time. It's it's. I, I, I'm trying to think of other Disney movies that do that. Huh. Um... Probably not, like... Possibly Lilo and Stitch. I was going to actually say that. And then on maybe Oliver and Company. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, lots of period pieces. But yeah, yeah. For them to do something that was actually like, yeah, this is the year that this would be taking place. That doesn't seem as common. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going back to the look of it again, because since I just mentioned the, the, the art director and everything and just the sort of look of the film, I can't, can't escape it. But um, the backgrounds... Uh, how, how did, I know it's, I'm not supposed to be asking you, but how did you feel about the backgrounds? Well, they were certainly different, but I still liked them a lot because like you said, they felt of their time. And I, I really liked the whole stylized feel of this movie from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That, that, like the opening with like, the jazzy music and everything and the spots and the I love the opening, and I love uh, the view of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I like their house, much. too. Yes, yes. It's a, Yeah, the interior is great, too. So, yeah, the idea was that they, you know, had always done these beautiful painted backgrounds before, but um, the art director decided to overlay sketchy lines to sort of match the, the style of the animated characters now that they've got the, they had this new process. So you've got these painted backgrounds, but then with the lines on top of them, but you'd have like this weird overlap where sometimes the colors wouldn't stay inside the lines and it was just more impressionistic. Like you weren't having perfect buildings. It was just more like these are impressions of buildings. So yeah, impressionism, I guess, that is the right word. That style has definitely come back in kids' picture books in the past 10 years. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I think Disney nostalgia might have a little something to do with that because some of the artists or writers that I've seen have Disney influence, like actually worked for the company. Mm. And I can't name any because I don't have <laughs> access to the library right now. <laughs> no, but that, that's okay. I believe you. I believe okay, you. good. Plus <laughs> your local librarian. Yay. Well, do you have any, any questions for me? Oh. Uh, Animation and art style. Um, well, what did you you mentioned the the opening? What did you think of it? I do like it, but I think the first thing I kind of noticed was how long the credits were. Hmm. Um, to me, they didn't feel any longer than usual. If anything, they felt shorter than any of the Disney movies that came before it because it was actually entertaining. Interesting. I, I think part of it also for me might have been I was so distracted by like, oh, God, here we are. It's xerography time. I can see all the pencil lines. I can see all of this. I can see that they've got all of these dogs that have been copied and pasted over and over and over and over again. But they've only animated the head. So I can see that the bodies are stationary. There were a lot of times when I noticed that throughout the movie, too. But anyway, opening, I I appreciate it, but I don't love it. Uh, I like one of the things I don't like about old movies is how they do their credits at the beginning. It's not that I dislike that they have credits at the beginning, but it's so stationary and it's like, here's a frame you're supposed to look at for a whole minute with some music and here's another frame and here's another frame and they're all the same to me. 
It's like fair. lists of names. And here you are opening this movie that's supposed to be awesome. And you're just getting this stationary wall of text. So that's my defense of an animated opening <laughs> for 101 Dalmatians. Oh, no, no, that's fine. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't say that one is better than the other. It's just, I think, a personal preference thing. Because I do find myself with the movies that we've already seen, you know, which would be the ones that don't have necessarily animated credits. I'll usually be listening to the music at that point, And I will be looking for the names that I'm watching for, like the Nine Old Men and everything and looking for yeah. voice actors that I recognize. And so I'm engaged in a different way, I think. You're expecting and looking for different things than I yeah. am. Yep, exactly. So that's why, yeah. It's not one's not better than the other. It's going to be a personal preference thing. Yeah. And I can already think of uh, an animated opening credit sequence that I'm very much looking forward to in the 70s. We'll get oh, there. Yeah? <laughs> okay. I, I uh, guess you'll have to point it out later. I sh- you know what? I think you'll you'll know it when we get there. Uh, it is Disney. I'm sure I'll see you flailing in the corner <laughs> of my eye. Yes. <laughs> no, I'll just stand right in front of you and flail like this is it. this is the one. <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, speaking of the intro, how about the music for for that or for the entire movie? Okay, so we've got George Br- Br- Bruns Bruns Bruns. I don't know. Again, I, don't know either. I, I I do like the sort of modern jazzy influence that we get throughout. Actually, the whole movie we we, we do have like kind of the more classic cues but then the the songs themselves of which there's really only two unless you count canine crunchies jingle of course um, we count canine crunchies okay okay canine crunchies um <laughs> that shit oh my god and then i guess yeah dalmatian plantation you don't really get a whole song out of that you just get like a couple of lines but the the big old song ruella Deville, like it it gives me such a um you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch kind of vibe. And I yeah. totally forget your, what year that was. I was going to look it up, but I wonder how close it is because they they have such a similar kind of like, we're singing about the villain and it's jazzy kind of song. Yeah. I like that since Roger is a musician, we don't really get the full song like you normally would in Disney pictures nowadays where it's like, oh, here's the villain song. Everybody enjoy. Mm-hmm. But we get like, we get the tune and we get the lyrics in, in different pieces. And even at the end when he's listening to it on the radio, it's still just a chunk of it. Yep. Yep. It's it's a very piecemeal kind of presentation of the song, but it it's still good. It's still great. I was actually just about to say, because you reminded me that whole thing with it being on the radio and the song being a hit. Couldn't like Cruella like sue for libel or something? <laughs> uh, isn't she in jail or something? Is she? Is she, though? <laughs> because at the very end, I just wrote down, somebody arrest Cruella in all caps, because the last time we saw her, she had just crashed the car. And that was all we saw was just like her and Horace and Jasper with their busted up vehicles just being upset. <laughs> yeah. That was Not it. Not much closure there. I, I She probably gets arrested in the live action version. That might be what we're remembering, because I just okay. she did get comeuppance, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so of the three songs that they do have, or four if you count the intro, which one is your favorite? A uh, Cruella Deville. God, okay. of course. It, that, think, that's, it's one of the best songs from this era. Yeah, I think so, too. For me, it's a cross between the intro and Canine Crunchies. 
Because Canine Crunchies is just so cute. No. It's cute. <laughs> I find it so insufferable. <laughs> Fucking 19... Well, it feels very 1950s, honestly. The, well, yeah, it was the, basically put together in the late 50s. That's true. That's true. Even though it was released 61, it was very much a 50s mentality and feel and look. But yeah, those ads, the advertisement is like, oh, God, this is like the worst. <laughs> so uh, we can have different opinions about these things. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to just talk about how funny this movie is, especially yeah. now that we're older. I think there's more things to notice, like kind of going on really clever little moments. Like? When uh, Horace and Jasper are posing as, like, uh, I guess people from, like, the electric company or whatever. Yeah, and their their briefcase. <laughs> the briefcase that says electric with um, a little <laughs> carrot in the R. And then, like, when they're talking to Cruella over the phone with the newspaper and they're like, yeah, pictures and all. And they, like, hold the receiver up to the newspaper as yeah. if to show her. <gasps> <gasps> and then I thought it was funny when they were trying to get Nanny to let them in the house and they're talking about... Uh, some law that parliament passed or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Trying to explain it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just stuff like that. And just like the general, the, the, the whole Twilight Bark sequence is just so well put together and staged and the mannerisms of the dogs, the way they're all animated. It's like, this is how you can do this without racism, Disney. Good job. Yeah, really. Oh my gosh. Like the little terrier, the way he like barks and bounces as he barks, like he's vibrating. It's like it's so <laughs> cute. It's so good. And we have to mention that we saw characters from Lady and the Tramp. That we did. We have a lot of cameos. We've got Jock. We've got Peg. We've got her bulldog buddy. We've got Lady and Tramp. Yeah. Um, they're they're all there. It, yeah. Maybe even the puppies from the pound. Yeah. Pound puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, we didn't talk about um, the horse and the cat and the colonel. It was a colonel, right? Uh, yes, it's the colonel and it's Sergeant Tibbs. And I can't remember the name of the horse because I didn't really care as much because I was really distracted by the colonel and Sergeant Tibbs. Have you ever read? Okay, this is going to be so out of left field here. Have you ever read um, any of like the Benicula books, like The Celery Stocks at Midnight or like yes. Holiday Inn? I read a few as a kid, and the only one I remember is the first one, which I reread as an adult. Okay. So if I don't know if you remember the illustrations on the covers of like those yeah. old, old versions of those books. Basically, Harold and Chester, so Harold the dog and Chester the cat, are exactly the Colonel and Sergeant Tibbs. That kind of scruffy looking, I don't know what kind of dog is. I, I don't actually know what the Colonel's supposed to be. I'm not good. I, I should be good at dog breeds, but I don't know what he is. And then, like, the tabby cat, the orange tabby. That's basically what Harold and Chester were from those books. So, like, I sat there the whole time we were watching this goddamn movie, like, were those books out already? Was this, like, a weird nod or something? Really? But, like, I don't know. I guess more recently they've had maybe, I don't know if it's an animated show or something starring those characters from that book series. And they look completely different, so I I don't know. But... I was distracted the whole time by that. I was just like, yay, look, it's my old friends from those old books that I loved. Well, I just looked it up. It looks like they were published in 1979. Yeah, so they came later. They came later. But it just, it threw me off. Just, but yeah, no, I I, I love both of those characters. And the horse is good, too. 
but like the the sequence where they're trying to get the message and there's like 15 spotted puddles it's just <laughs> oh it's so cute it's so it's so fun i like basically all the dogs involved in the midnight bark there's twilight bark, twilight bark. whatever <laughs> very same important thing. it's the same thing <laughs> um you have that one really long-haired dog who was the pet of oh, the artist up in a penthouse or loft yeah, or whatever and it's sticking her head out the window and <laughs> breaking the blinds and then there is that poodle we saw earlier climbing on top of a car yes that's right and then oh. then there's was he a mastiff he was the first dog who got the message. Oh, yeah, the, the really big one. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked him, and I liked the one dog who helped them go to the dairy farm when they were trying oh, the to collie. go back to London. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote down, like, oh, majestic collie in all caps at that point, because he just looked so majestic, just bounding through the snow to them. Yeah. It's <laughs> lassie. Yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of the puppies, holy yeah. shit. Hey, so I cried. Aw. Do you know when I cried? Was it... Uh. <laughs> Think of the potentially saddest part of the movie. Was it when there was a blizzard going on and they were walking single file? No, no. No? Uh, it's, it's, it's that very moment when Manny comes back in and says, 14! Oh. And we realize that we might lose one of the puppies. So that whole scene with... Pongo and Roger waiting in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. If there was any memory from this whole movie that stuck with me, it it was that scene. It's it's a very good, very well staged, very well paced, very very good tone that whole scene. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that it's yeah. a very very good scene. Because I remembered so well the Roger sucking on his pipe <laughs> so furiously and the clock ticking in the background, and then I remember the clock coming back to what what's it called the foreground mm -hmm. when he's trying to do like puppy cpr or whatever that was yeah that, that that didn't i don't really know how that works but it worked damn it i like when pongo licks his hand and he just like flips his shit <laughs> oh since we're talking about those weird little memory things the things that we remember we've we've talked about these many times yeah i have two i okay. have two um one is more of a sound and the other one is more of a visual. The sound is the one that happens when they're at the park and they've just paused and Pongo starts to run off again and Roger's trying to light his pipe and then he gets kind of whipped around in a circle and kind of goes <laughs> and gets pulled off screen. That noise was always just like, oh God, yep, this is that movie. And then the, the visual one is... It's partly an audio cue. It's when he's uh, Roger singing Corella Deville, and he sings the line, "She ought to be locked up and never released." And he does this thing with his feet. Um, oh, the stomping! He, the, it's like it's like a fancy foot thing, and then he ends with like one foot kind of in the air when he does that, and never released. Like that's I have such a visual recollection of like what that looks like. I can't describe oh. it very well, clearly, but. Yeah, that stuck with me. Well, uh, did we talk about the plot very much? We mostly talked um, about what bothered us. Well, there, there were some things that were a little like, okay, so Hell Hall's pretty on the fucking nose, isn't it? And Cruella Deville and like all the stuff, but that, that prob that's probably all from like the original story, honestly. Yeah. 
Um, so I can't really fault Disney for that. There's like the one bit, that one kind of throwaway line of the truck driver where he's like, crazy woman driver. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you didn't have to call out the fact that she's a woman, but yeah. okay. She is a crazy driver. True. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Cruella is just like, every time we see her driving, she's just skidding all over the place and <laughs> barely in control. But the fact that he's like, ah, these stupid women drivers, basically. It's like, oh, come on, man. I thought the arrival of the puppies back at their London house was a bit too coincidental. Well, I think the best part about that, and by best, I mean the goofiest shit, is like, there's just like all this exposition right before they show yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, the, the the song is on the radio, and then he turns it off, and she's like, oh, we never would have dreamed it would have been so successful that we're suddenly rich now. And he's like... <laughs> But I don't know why the dogs ran away. Oh, here are the dogs. It's like, why did yeah. you just happen to bring them up right before they come running at the door? Like, I could still hear them barking. And then there they are barking. It's just, it's, it's a little, it's all tied up with a very, very neat bow. But it's, you know, whatever. It's just a little bit goofy. There are worse problems with worse movies. Yeah, true. <laughs> Something I want to say, a weird moment of praise for Cruella de Vil other than oh. the fact that she knows how to get it. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, you, you know, like there's like this running thing throughout the movie with Horace and Jasper to sort of be like, oh, you think the dogs are doing that, eh? Oh, you idiot. Of course they're not doing that. They're stupid dogs, blah, blah, blah. Cruella does not underestimate the dog's intelligence once. She is always just like ready to expect the unexpected from them. Huh. Like, when she finds their footprints when she's driving, she's like, aha, yes, I see. They tried to disguise where they were. They tried to trick me. Like, she doesn't underestimate them. Good, good gal, Corella. <laughs> 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 At least she appreciates their intelligence. All right. Any final thoughts, I guess? Final thoughts? Hmm. Well, Disney, after seeing this and Lady and the Tramp, Disney is definitely really good at dogs. Yes. Agreed. I'm not so sure about cats, though. There was a no. moment when uh, Tibbs was helping the puppies through a hole in the wall, and he ha actually picks up Rolly to shove him through the hole. And I'm like, this dog probably weighs more than you do, and you're just picking it up <laughs> with your front legs or arms or whatever they're called. Yeah, it's a little much. In general, the dogs were not, like, their faces were anthropomorphized, but their bodies were not. They were always moving like dogs. Tibbs, on the other hand, he did kind of move like a person and, like, manipulate things and move things around a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and that, that, I don't know why they did that. <laughs> oh, but one thing I did like involving Tibbs was when he was sitting next to the wine bottle. Yes. And... <laughs> Who was it? Jasper. Jasper yes. picked him up to drink him. <laughs> Gave him a big old smackaroo. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> like me too, tits. <laughs> Love that movement. Oh, it's good. Very charming movie would be my overall takeaway. Um, okay. And less problematic than Lady and the Tramp. So Definitely. a superior dog movie. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention because I didn't know where the hell this went, but I love <laughs> that they call Roger and Anita their pets. Yes! Yeah, that clever. also felt very much like, this is probably how it's written in the book, you know? Yeah. It, and it's, it's, again, not a bad thing. It's just one of those kind of recognizably, 
literary kind of like, yeah, yeah, of course they would have come up with something like that. A writer <laughs> would do that. So, yeah, I liked it. Cool. <laughs> I still have some issues with the kind of the way things are going to look for the next couple decades here at Disney. But It'll be fine. If, yeah, if nothing else, I, I still like the animation and designs of the characters. It's just that sketchiness that kind of does bother me. Better get ever. used to it. Yeah, I guess I'll have to. Um, so on a scale of old tea that's gone bad and super sugary, milky, caffeinated tea, what would you rate this? Um, sparkling water that's lime flavored. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> Because that's, that's actually honestly what I yeah yeah that's fine it's 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 not what I was expecting or maybe necessarily wanting but it's really good. Hmm, I would I would give it also a flavored sparkling water with some yeah. fruit juice infused in there. Yeah, if I had that, that would probably make it taste a little better, or maybe some vodka. Yeah. <laughs> so hey, what do we have for next episode? Next episode is called Gay Paris. It stars Judy Garland, of all people. Oh my god, that's right. We're, yeah. we're going to take a little uh, uh, a trip away from Disney and to, I guess, Paris? Yeah, we're going to go from a dog movie to a cat movie. Yay, cats. Let's <laughs> see how well they do their cats. Yeah. All right, so I guess we'll uh, see you guys next time with that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Those cheekbones could cut a bitch. Um, I love. I'm it. sure. I love Benedict her. Cumberbatch is just so <laughs> jealous. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Do I ship it? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. <laughs> no.